Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game, around the love of the game, we are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. On December 11th, 1982, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Lockhart Stadium, the Indiana Hoosiers men's soccer team took on the Duke Blue Devils for the National Championship of Division I men's soccer. Coached by the godfather, Jerry Yagley, the Indiana Hoosiers had lost three other times in the National Championship game to San Francisco. For Jerry Yegley, who founded the program, winning that first national championship, as you can imagine, meant so much. In this game, it went eight overtimes long before they instituted just two overtimes and penalty kicks. Eight overtimes with no thought of penalty kicks before Greg Thompson, who scored a goal earlier, scored the winner in overtime number eight to give Indiana the first of eight national championships and continue the trek for Jerry Yagley, the godfather, arguably the greatest men's college soccer coach of all time. On Saturday night at Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, a documentary called Worth the Wait will break down that game and the Indiana soccer family. And it'll sound a little bit like this. Seamus, at this point, you can hardly say that one team will lose. I don't know that anybody was sitting. I remember none of us were sitting. It was absolutely nerve-wracking. People were saying, uh, you know, can they win the big one? This story is about building an environment. When the players come in, they know what each player meant to the program previous to them. From day one, I remember he had those same rules had it been a varsity sport. Persistence, you know, to just stick with it. A lesser man would have left They've been here three times before, but they've never come away a winner. Three times. I, I know Coach felt it. I want another shot. I want another chance. And we got to get back again. Whatever you do in life that has any meaning, there's going to be bumps in the road. Each of those three times, we lost San Francisco. I'm sure he was probably thinking, I hope I can get this monkey off my back. There was this emotional volcano that was developing that we need to follow this through to completion to win a championship. We knew the feeling of losing like that. We have returned, uh, that's not a mistake, in the eighth overtime, Indiana and Duke. People were concerned about safety. They made many mistakes. Get to Thompson! Oh, Thompson is tackled by Ulrich. Penalty kicks? To win a championship? No. If you ask them, you want to be a co-champion? I think they would have said just what I did. Maybe even in stronger words. We're going to see this to the end. 
with the Indiana Hoosiers kicking off the 2019 season Friday night against Pittsburgh and then Sunday night against UCLA, 8 p.m. on the Big Ten Network and Saturday night's debut of this incredible documentary worth the wait that even Jerry Yeagley has not yet seen in its entirety. We talked to all of the players in worth the wait that were a part of this epic eight overtime thriller back in 1982 between Duke and Indiana. Up first, the godfather himself, Jerry Yeagley, arguably the greatest men's soccer coach of all time. John Rennie was the top man for Duke on the other end of this game. Four years later, he would win Duke's first ever national championship, any sport, in 1986. He's on the program. Tucker Gregg, who is the video director for Blue Line, the company behind this amazing documentary, Worth the Wait, will also join us. And then Don Rawson, longtime assistant coach for Indiana. He was on the sideline when Indiana knocked off Duke in eight overtimes back in 1982, the first of eight national championships for the Hoosiers. And then we'll be joined by two more members of our 30 under 30 class. We start with the godfather, Jerry Yeagley, after this message from my presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. You just heard me. I'm giddy. Yeah, I know it. I say the Godfather a lot. I know there's drinking games going on with it. But when you break it down, Jerry Yeagley, who, by the way, is from Lebanon, Pennsylvania, he was the coach of the Indiana Hoosiers men's soccer team from 1973 to 2003. His teams won six NCAA championships. They're known as stars in Bloomington and a division one record 544 games. The Godfather is considered the most successful collegiate soccer coach in the history of the sport with an overall career record 544, 101, and 45. Now, to get six championships, you got to win one. And in 1982, they played an epic soccer game, perhaps the most epic collegiate soccer game of all time, knocking off Duke in eight overtimes to give the Godfather the first of six. Indiana has gone on to win two more, including one for his son, Todd. And now on Saturday night in Bloomington, they will debut a documentary called Worth the wait. It's over an hour. They may cut it down. They may add to it. What they will say is it's amazing. And here to talk about it, always an honor, the godfather himself, Jerry Yeagley. Jerry, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you, Dean. And I'm excited. I've seen snippets, but I haven't seen the whole thing. And I'm just as excited as uh, Hopefully a lot of people are. Well, as you would say, as you were telling your players, you've got that little sort of fire in your stomach, right? Uh, Getting ready to see this, I'm sure, on Saturday night, right? Oh, you get the juices flowing, absolutely. 
that's part of it, getting those butterflies flying in formation. You've heard me say that before. I have heard you. I've heard uh, at your house as well, so as I've known you a long, long time. But uh, this is pretty neat, though, Coach. Um, your legacy is untouchable. But to be able to document what uh, happened in 1982 and then also tell stories of, you know, where you came from and everything else, I mean, it's you've had a lot of great honors. i, I got to believe this documentary and kind of breaking down on this winning this championship worth the wait is got to be right up there, right, Coach? Well, for all the players from the club days on back in 1963, when I, when I first year that I coached the club here, and those guys being the pioneers laying the foundation for us just to get varsity status, uh, that's going to be uh, a story, a sub-story told as well, and the trials and tribulations that we went through and the people who led the charge, uh, like Donnie Rawson and uh, Gary Friesen and Jeff Richardson, student body president, these are people outside of soccer uh, that, that aren't mainstream but had so much to do with our early success. And then <clears throat> finally making varsity status and in four years getting to the final four, uh, that was in Philadelphia, Franklin Field, uh, and uh, just missing a PK that could have won the game and then losing to San Francisco not once but three times, 76, 78, 80, and then finally getting that monkey off her back in 82. What a thrill it was. Eight overtimes, though. What do you remember about, you know, Another overtime, another overtime. Kind of put into words what you were witnessing, what you're experiencing, and then you know definitely share the story. As I was able to visit with you this week, actually in Bloomington, watching Indiana practice as we get ready for Sunday's game against UCLA, 8 p.m. Big Ten Network. Always promoting, Coach. We always got to promote. You know that. Um, what do you remember though about? I mean, you talk about players were cramping, right? I mean, just break down that eight overtime thriller. Well, Dean, we played in Fort Lauderdale, and it was a hot, humid night. We started, I think, at 7, 7.30 against Duke and John Rennie, a dear friend of mine. Now, we were great rivals, and I mean, we were... We were, <laughs> you know, we were going at it. We were competitors, and uh, what a great game it was! Ebb and flow, back and forth. We, uh, Greg, Greg Thompson scores a great goal uh, to put us ahead one zero, and they scored. I think with eight minutes left to tie it, and then the overtimes came, and we had to take people out of the game because they were cramping. Uh, Greg Thompson, for example, who was a defender, uh, I had to not putting back in defense because he felt that his legs would give out on them having a counter. So we said, okay, Greg, we'll put you up top. And sure enough, while he is cramped up and in the game playing up top, he gets fouled and scores the winning goal in the eight overtime. Now, leading up to the eight overtimes, uh, to the last overtime, uh, they started with 10-minute overtime periods. And this was new for the NCA. They didn't have any, you know, when are we going to stop? When is it time? When's enough? They just kept going, thinking that it wouldn't go this long. And uh, actually, uh, the players, uh, they were dehydrated, but the coaches, we had to <laughs> take time between one of the overtimes for the coaches to get relief to go to the restroom. <laughs> and also, we, we changed the, the overtime from 10 minutes to 5 minutes. 
So it was sort of going weighing it as you go uh, in an NCAA championship game. And the just to, you, you can't put into words, Dean, the feeling uh, of, you know, just the exuberance, the acceleration of scoring and it's over and you're champions. And there was even talk before the eighth overtime I remember Donnie Rawson going over and talking to Kenny Chartier, their assistant coach, down with my assistant, and saying, what do you think we ought to do, co-champs on this? Uh, guys are really cramping. It's not good. Uh, and Donnie came back to me with the idea, and I just looked over to John, and we were both more or less. We didn't say it to each other, but there was no no way in the world that we were going to say co-champs at that point. We were going to go to the end. As long as the NCAA let us play. Well, it's interesting, too, because um, you mentioned uh, your good friend John Rennie, who, um, like you, is in multiple Hall of Fames, including the North Carolina Soccer Hall of Fame. And he was gracious enough to also be on this podcast. He's coming up after you as well as the producer-director behind the show, and we'll get more into that as well. And I did ask him, I was like, you know, what did you think? And he did think that, uh, you know, somewhere around 8 or 10, they might have to go ahead and say co-championships. Do you think you would have kept pushing? If uh, if it went past ten, coach, <laughs> it depended on how many players were still standing. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it was it was getting dangerous. It was getting to the point where, uh, for the welfare of the student athlete, uh, something had to be done. And even though I, at the time, said no way, and we did go ahead and continue, uh, inevitably it would have had to be uh, a co championship. Well, it's going to happen. So uh, the Yagley family and IU Athletics is going to actually show their premiere. It's by invite only, folks, so don't try to show up and go to this. But it's worth the wait. Presented by Adidas and Blue Line Films. Blue Line Films actually happens to be based, uh, you know, partially in, in North Carolina where I do this show. Tucker Gregg, a video director who is uh, from Bloomington, and he's with thisblueline.com, was one of the key guys behind it. What do you remember about, uh, and perhaps a lot of this was happening and you didn't know it, Godfather, but what do you remember about someone saying, hey, we, we got to do a documentary on this game, and as you said, <laughs> on the program? Well, very honestly, Dean, it was not my idea. Uh, it, uh, some of the, some of our early alums, David Shelton, who lives down in the Raleigh area now, uh, actually moved up to uh, Charlotte. Uh, he was a prime mover on this and Gary Friesen, uh, was a prime mover. He was one of our early alums, captain of our first team. And, uh, they, they talked to Tucker and really tried to encourage Blue Line to look into this. And uh, I'm not taking any credit for getting this going, and I'm just so happy that that they did it. But uh, the credit goes to other people for uh, getting this started. Well, and now one of the goals will be, and again, this is, um, you know, out of my pay grade, I think you'll tell me even out of your pay grade is, you know, trying to find a platform to put it on, maybe shorten it, maybe lengthen it so it fits right in either a one-hour area or a two-hour or 90-minute, that type of thing. But, you know, one thing I think uh, you will say, even based on just seeing some of the snippets, it it deserves the platform, right? If you're if you're a soccer fan, you know what, strike 
strike that. If you're a sports fan, it will bring you in because I've been able to soak in some of it as as well. You don't even have to be a soccer fan to want to watch this, right, Coach? <laughs> it's an intriguing story, and it's a timepiece. And uh, Angelo Pizzo, you know, the guy uh, who uh, wrote Hoosiers and Rudy, he's going to be here Saturday night, and he'll critique it. He's here in Bloomington, and it'd be interesting to hear what he says. But I think it's very well done. Blue Line is so professional. The snippets that I've seen, just well, Marilyn, my wife, she goes to tears, you know. <laughs> but I, it touches me, and I, uh, I think it'll touch a lot of people, even if, even if they're not IU soccer knowledgeable fans, because it tells a, a wonderful story. Worth the wait, breaking down that 82 championship. And one of the things that uh, not, sometimes people forget, Coach, is you've always been a champion. I mean, you won an NCAA title at Westchester University, right? That was the name of the university. And, and Yes. Yeah. So you knew, what it would t- you knew what it took to be a champion. You brought that to Indiana. Well, I was fortunate to have great players with me. We won a state championship in high school. It's the smallest high school I've ever won one in Pennsylvania, Meyerstown High School. It's now a consolidated school system. And then to play at Westchester and win a championship there my senior year. Uh, I knew what it was like. I knew what it felt like. And it was always a goal of mine. And Actually, uh, I think I should have had about four or five more. If, uh, <laughs> you know, my assistants like Donnie Ronson let me down a little bit on that. But otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Don't, hope, Donnie. Yeah. don't tell Donnie that one. We hope but anyway, get... uh, we had some some of the greatest teams that didn't win that were ranked number one, and yet maybe two or three of them that we did win, we maybe weren't one of the best teams at the time, but found a way to get a championship. So it's a it was a wonderful, wonderful run. Couple other things, and we'll let you go. As uh, we look forward to the premiere on Saturday night, uh, we look forward to Indiana playing Pittsburgh on Friday, and then UCLA on the Big Ten Network on Sunday night. One of the things that uh, you kind of touched on that you'll feel when you watch this documentary is the strong family connection. In fact, for instance, Greg Thompson, who scored the winner, he had not one but two fantastic uh, boys uh, play for Indiana. So that family connection with IU soccer, it's. Really really hard to explain unless you show up and you work the IU soccer camps and then once you do you get it talk about that family connection coach because it never ever ever goes away well I think the roots for that go back to our club days where we had to do everything as a family whether it was lining the fields or Maryland washing the uniforms and us driving our players driving their cars we had to do everything uh, as a club, and it brought us so close, uh, and the bonds were so tight that those things we carried on as we became varsity and have continued right up through today. And the IU soccer family is one heck of a proud tradition, a tradition of excellence that uh, goes a lot deeper than just the players who were on the field at the time. I do feel like, uh, as we wrap up uh, our time with the Godfather, I feel like you meant it when you told me one time is like yeah this 82 game was amazing the five other ones were amazing you talked about some of those other teams you've had Mac Herman award winners but you told me really your best moment in soccer was seeing your son win a national championship for Indiana you meant that didn't you I sure did you know uh we live through our children and I'm so proud of Todd he is so much ahead of where I ever was as a coach. He, he works at it continuously. He is so much, 
so much better than I ever was, and I'm so proud of him and to watch him train and watch him work uh, and to see him win that championship in the last two years being the final four, having a chance to win two more. Uh, it's just a thrill. I'll tell you this, though. It's much, much harder for me to watch my son coach than it was to be on the sideline coaching. I'll tell you, the butterflies, the anxiety that I have, it's, uh, it's just, yeah, hard to put into words. Strange. Well, you still get to soak it in, though, right? I mean, every day you can go over to practice, and the boys love having you there. Like, you you try to do that almost every day, don't you? Well, it's not almost pretty. I don't miss too many. I stealth in the shadows, you know, I hang out. Uh, in the shade, <laughs> but it gives me, uh, you know, it gives me my fix to get me next to them and rub up somewhat close. Uh, but just to watch the, the new players come in this year, you know, those Christmas presents under the tree that you unwrap and you haven't seen before, and just watch <laughs> the new ones play. Uh, that's so exciting time. Such an exciting time of year as well. But no, I, uh, I I'm blessed. Uh, to be still be close to the program and uh, to just see it continue to flourish. All right, Coach. There'll be no shade on Saturday night. It'll be only bright lights as the debut of Worth the Wait by Invite Only right there on the campus of wonderful Indiana University right there in Bloomington. I think it's going to be in Assembly Hall, right, where the basketball team plays. It is. Yeah. Uh, yes, the people who are invited will be seated in Assembly Hall and watch it on the big, big screen hanging down from the ceiling. So that'll be a unique experience. And we're going to try to do our best on the Big Ten Network to tell people about it. We hope to even promote it uh, at halftime of that IU-UCLA game. And if not that one, we got six other games during the season on the Big Ten Network or FS1 to get the word out. Worth the wait, a story of the epic 1982 National Championship game against Duke, but really so much more. The story of building arguably the most successful men's college soccer program of all time. Indiana, eight-star working on nine this year. They start tomorrow against Pittsburgh. And the godfather, everybody loves him, Jerry Yeagley. Thanks so much for being on the show, and best of luck with the debut of Worth the Wait. Thanks, Dean. You're the best, buddy. Actually, we all know the godfather is the best. They had to beat Duke in eight overtimes. John Rennie, also a fantastic person, wonderful coach, kind enough to join us to talk about that 82 epic matchup. Remind you that Duke would also get their first four years later in 1986. And by the way, that would be Duke's first ever national championship any sport. Long before Coach K was getting it done, John Rennie was getting it done. And he's up next on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. It's not easy to be all of those things. You need help. And who better to help than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 
30-day introductory membership today. Or you can use promo code PODCAST, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, before the end of August and save over $25 off your yearly membership fee and enjoy all the benefits of a full member. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to our special United Soccer Coaches podcast, breaking down the documentary Worth the Wait, a look at the perhaps most epic soccer game of all time, the 1982 National Championship game between the Duke men and the Indiana men that went eight overtimes before Greg Thompson scored the winner. We just heard from the Godfather, and as we talked about uh, in our visit with Jerry Yagley, we said John Rennie gracious enough to also talk about the documentary Worth the Wait and that game. John Rennie, just like Jerry Yagley, a legend, a Hall of Famer, a gentleman. He led Duke from 79 to 2007. He was the 1982 then named NSCAA Coach of the Year, five-time ACC Coach of the Year. He won that championship in 86, long before Coach K even knew what a championship was. He got back to the Final Four in 92, almost won it in 95, back again in 2004, and still out there doing great things for the game. John Rennie's with me now. Coach, thanks for being with us. I am delighted to be here. Well, I can still remember 1982. (laughs) Well, there's a lot to remember because eight overtimes, uh, one of the big reasons why they wanted to do the documentary, of course, from an Indiana perspective, Coach, it was the first of eight stars. And, you know, the great thing about this as well, spending time with you, you know what, four years later, you got your star. You got your national championship. So you at least will always have that. No one can take that away. But let's just go back to that eight overtimes time game in your own words as much as you can what do you remember about all of it (laughs) oh i can remember losing it unfortunately (laughs) in the eighth overtime but i was really happy even to get into overtime we were we were down one nothing for most of the second half and i think we scored with i don't know about 10 or 15 minutes to go to tie it up so i was really happy about going to overtime at that point and then it was just crazy because uh, we changed the rules. The, the, the overtimes were five minutes, and Jerry and I got together about after three or four and talked to the uh, the NCAA rules committee right there, and we changed it from five minutes to ten minutes. And it was just one of those days. It, it was a it was a crazy game, and it was going nuts because. It was going so on long and long and long. It kept going on and on. So Jerry and I got together again and said, well, what else can we do? And eventually they scored a goal. So at least somebody was a winner uh, of a national championship. Well, it's so funny you talked about changing the rules because one of the things that's funny that uh, even Don Rossen talked about, uh, not only did they change the rules on the 10-minute time, but Jerry had to go to the bathroom so bad that they actually added a break just so he could go to the – I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, just you know, kind of funny side stories, which makes sense, right, because you're out there a long, long time. But, uh, you know, great team, and then you were able to win you know, your national championship four years later. When they called you to say, hey, we're going to do this documentary, about this game, and they said they want to come talk to you. What do you remember about that experience and, and about the interview, Coach? 
Well, you know, I thought it would be five or ten minutes over the phone or something like that, and then all of a sudden they say we're coming down to Duke with three or four people to, to record everything in three or four different places at the university, and I was kind of in shock about that, that they were putting so much effort uh, into the whole um, movie or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it was it was incredible that, that they went through all of that effort um, to record uh, that that year, that 1982 national championship. So it was it was just great to be a part of it. What do you remember about your relationship with Jerry Yagley? Because here's the deal, Coach. When you add up his wins and your wins, they're over a thousand wins. Your record at Duke: four ten, one sixty one, and thirty four. Of course, you also spent time at Columbia and one other school, 454, 208, and 47. All in, it's a 1,000-plus victories. So two of you are iconic for men's soccer coaching. What do you remember about your relationship with Coach Yeagley? Because he can be pretty fiery on the sideline too, right? <laughs> well, we were young in those days. Uh, you know, I, I never really met Jerry, until we played the game. Hmm. And it's, it's one of those things when you, you go play against a team and a coach that you've never met before. You just have no idea what that relationship would be. Would it be positive? Would it be negative? And just that, that whole weekend in, in Fort Lauderdale, with both staffs talked together a lot. They played basketball against each other. And we just had a good relationship going into the game. And then as the game was going on and on and on, we would talk to each other on the sideline uh, about a, a lot of different things. I mean, Jerry isn't the only one to want to take a break, <laughs> you know, late, late, late in overtime. And everybody uh, got together and walked into the, the locker rooms, and all the fans were going, what's going on? Is the game over? <laughs> that kind of a thing. But Jerry and I got to, got to talk a fair amount during the game. And even though that they had won the game, we still had a good uh, chat after the game. And I, I was just impressed with the Indiana University, uh, the players, the staff, and particularly with Jerry. We had a good time, and we talked about, okay, well, let's play uh, again. So that's what we started to do. We'd play a game. We'd go to their tournament. They would go to our tournament. And it just worked out in a very, very positive way. A lot of respect on both sides. A lot of respect, a lot of wins, and then, of course, the connection with United Soccer Coaches. This is, of course, the United Soccer Coaches podcast, so I got to believe your friendship has been able to live on over the years, even after you both stepped down. Oh, yeah. We would talk each, you know, about once a year, preseason or early season, and talk about uh, what's going on with the new coach at Indiana, for example. Uh, Same Yeagley. By the way, or the same name. Uh, we would chat, you know, at, at the Hall of Fame dinners or, or whenever we see each other at the convention. And, you know, it's just a, been a great relationship, and we enjoy talking to each other. Here with John Rennie, the Hall of Famer from Duke, who was uh, on the losing end of that one. But one of the things that uh, Jerry Yeagley talked about, he's like, look, 
we lost to San Francisco twice. We lost another one. We'd been in three national championships. We had three second places. So, you know, there was kind of a thought, well, for co-champs, at least we kind of got a share. But then there also was the thought, no, I want it all to myself. And you know what? Sure enough, you got your own four years later. I've already touched on it. What did that mean in 1986 to give Duke their first ever national championship any sport? <laughs> well, that was pretty unique because the following year or two is when the basketball team won their first championship. And they had been in the final game in the spring of 1986, and they lost uh, to Louisville in the final. And uh, there was kind of a little uh, back and forth on campus of who would win the first national championship at Duke. And at this point, it's kind of like a trivia. <laughs> who won it? Well, you remember soccer? <laughs> yes. Okay. They won it. So that, that was kind of a, a back and forth with the, the players, et cetera, on the campus. And it was, it was fun for us, and it's always been fun to be in the Final Four. Well, you had some great players on the 86 team because John Kerr, the coach now, Duke was on that team. I think Tommy Kane was on that team. I'm not, was Tom Stone on that team too, that 86 team? Yeah, he scored the, the goal to win the championship as Tom, Tom Stone, yes. Incredible. And he's gone on to be a great coach, one of the best women's college coaches, uh, I think, out there as well, which has got to make you feel good. And that's one of the things that uh, Coach Yeagley talked about as well. So many people that were either on his staff, even managers have gone on to either win high school titles or college titles, coaches that have gone on. What does that mean as a coach to see your coaching tree so wide, so big? Well, it's nothing you re- you know prepare or expect. Uh, when you're young, as you're coaching, uh, you're not even think about those kinds of things. And over the years, a lot of the players stay involved in the game, whether as an administrator or hopefully for a long time as a player. And then hopefully you think that, you know, I'd like to see them stay in the game because the game was still growing and it still is growing. So you're just real happy that you have some influence that some of your players are stayed in the game, and it's it's great to uh, to go to games or watch them on TV, and it's just a it's a, it's an awful lot of fun that you didn't expect when you got into coaching. John, bouncing back to your last answer, talking about '86 Duke losing to Louisville, I like that answer because, as you know, the ACC Network just launched, and one of their premier programs was the class that saved Coach K, and of course, it ends with them losing to Louisville, and it's basically a documentary. Now you've got this documentary worth the wait that'll be unveiled on Saturday night. I guess the rule was it's invite only, no blue allowed, John Rennie, so sorry you didn't get the invite because it's red only uh, at uh, Assembly (laughs) Hall on Saturday night. But the same sort of notion, I watched that, and I can tell you my wife watched it too, and she's not a huge basketball fan. I kind of feel like this documentary, if they can somehow find a way maybe to either shorten it down to an hour or push it to exactly 90 minutes and get the clearance, which is never easy. You always want to go a little shorter. I feel like the flow and the little bit that I've seen, you don't have to be a soccer fan to want to take this documentary in, which is kind of how I felt about watching that class that saved Coach K. Of course, he's got a bigger platform with college basketball, but I think it'll be great for any kind of people to watch. Don't you, Coach? Yes. Well, I mean, certainly for the players involved and uh, certainly the staff, the coaches, et cetera. Uh, you know, it's just a great memory, and to see any of it back uh, in a documentary form, 
uh, that Indiana's putting together will just be fantastic. John Rennie, the Hall of Famer, had a great honor of calling a game with him several years ago as well. He continues to, just like Jerry Eggley, in the shadow of the Indiana program. You can see him around the Duke program. You can see him at uh, North Carolina FC and North Carolina Courage Games as well. And so glad that you're on the program here because I also know that you are a huge proponent for United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA. Coach Rennie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Delighted to be on it. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. So someone had to put this thing together, right? Someone had to have the vision and also the capability, the connection to Indiana to get it done. Well, Tucker Gregg did. He went to Indiana from 2007 to 2012, used to hang out with Ernie Yarborough, longtime assistant coach, former goalkeeper for the Hoosiers. He started Blue Line. You can find his website at thisisblueline.com, and he's the man behind this documentary worth the wait. We'll talk to Tucker Greg after this message. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability. Boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to our United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. You can feel the excitement about Saturday night, Assembly Hall, Bloomington, Indiana. The official unveiling of the documentary called Worth the Wait, breaking down that 1982 epic eight-overtime NCAA Men's Division I final between Indiana and Duke with the Hoosiers finally winning it in eight overtimes. We've already heard from the godfather, Jerry Yegley. We've already heard from John Rennie. How gracious is he as well? And now the man behind it. And I got to tell you, folks, he's barely a man. He's a young man. Indeed, Tucker Gregg, who graduated from Indiana in 2012. That's right. Right, right, Tucker? 2012? 2012, yes, sir. All right. He started a company called Blue Line. They do branding, video, they do documentaries. And so he was close enough, obviously, being an IU superstar student to the Indiana program to understand the importance of that game, the Indiana family, and away we go. Worth the wait Saturday night. The video director behind it, Tucker Gregg, joins us now, Tucker. And I'll tell you what, I'm giddy. I know there's drinking games out there when I call games on the Big Ten Network. When I say the Godfather, right, Jerry Yeagley, and now you give us this really heartfelt inside look at him and his family and extended family, because if you know him, you feel part of his family. Let's go back to the genesis of this. What made you say, particularly as such a young man, hey, we need to document this game and how Indiana got it rolling? Dean, thank you so much for having me on. I think the biggest thing that made me think about having to have this story told is I've just, I've always been a huge fan of the IU soccer program. And I've always wondered if there was, if there was one event, one person or one, one kind of moment that could kind of encapsulate the, uh, the entire legacy of that program. And, and when I was rifling through the stories for the program, when I was talking to, to coaches that had been through the ranks and players that had been through the ranks, uh, this 1982 championship was definitely the one that kind of kept coming up to the top. And to, to us, as like the production crew, it just kind of encapsulated this idea of perseverance that was 
that was present in in Jerry's first years when he came onto campus in 1963, where you know he worked for 10 years, not getting paid a dime, coaching a uh, you know a club team. And to us, you know, that was a big thing of perseverance. And then that that carried on through the 70s when he when he gained varsity status, but he lost in the national championship three different times, three separate times to the same team, San Francisco Dons, and that's that to us was again another nod to perseverance. And so. We thought this 82 championship with the eight overtimes and the 160 minutes of play definitely, definitely spoke to that. So how did you go about putting the pieces of the puzzle together to get to this point where finally on Saturday night at Assembly Hall by invite only people are going to be able to see this amazing documentary? You know, it was it was a lot of conversations. It was talking to lots of people, lots of people that played for the program in any of those three decades that I just mentioned. It was talking to people that had had coached for the program or coached around the program or coached against the program. It was talking to people that that had just interacted with players or with coaches and and kind of figuring out from them, you know, what was their angle on the story and then kind of taking all those different pieces and, and putting them together. That was really what it was. Lots of conversations. There's multiple people to thank, I know, but uh, I know before we went on the air, you talked about Ernie Yarborough, who's been on my program before. Jerry Yeagley, yeah, he talked about uh, another former player that lives right around here. I think he used to live in Raleigh, now lives in Charlotte. That was a big part of it. Uh, Who are the four or five kind of key people that helped you push on? Well, I do have to give a shout out to Ernie Yarborough because Ernie and I used to, to coach up in Indianapolis, and we'd share rides from Bloomington up to Indianapolis. And obviously on those rides, Ernie would share stories. And so he was actually the first person to ever share with me the story about the 1982 championship. And I had always kind of had that in the back of my mind as something that I just found super interesting, something that I always wanted to see like a 30 for 30 on, something that I wanted more details on. So big shout out to Ernie. But then the other one is, you know, Dave Shelton, Dave Shelton played on the 1976 team, the first team to go to the NCAA tournament. Actually, sorry, the first team to go to the NCAA championship in uh, in Philadelphia. And I live in Durham. And so I was connected by the the IU soccer family, reached out and said, hey, you need to talk to this guy named Dave. I, I went up and met with Dave, and I would say Dave and I have become fast friends. There isn't a week where I don't go, where I don't talk to him. And he kind of started giving me more information as, you know, what he thought the story was or what he thought the story could be. He helped connect me to alumni that he thought would be important. He helped he helped facilitate a lot of the direction of this piece, for sure. And I, I cannot thank him enough. And then, I, I, you know, I also, obviously, you know, Coach Jerry Yaley and Coach Todd Yaley were both generous with their time. But even, even more so, you know, Coach John Rennie. Um, I can only imagine it's not a great thing to sit down and talk about a championship game that you lost. But... You know, he was very gracious with his time, and, and he set up a whole interview in Durham and, and sat down and talked very intelligently about the game and their strategy and, and you know, how, how the game of soccer leaves a, a good taste in your mouth and sometimes leaves a bad taste in your mouth. After this experience, and the great thing is you found something to center it around, but you even said early on it was bigger than just this game because it's Indiana soccer and it's Jerry Yeagley and the Godfather and – we all care about our family, right? You've heard me say it now, family, like three or four times. But mm-hmm. your your walk away impressions from how deep this family is. I mean, it's it is a 
it is a, a bond that sticks that seems to stick with you throughout your whole life. Through good times and through bad times, it seems like the sort of it just seems like they're all cut from the same fabric. Even if you didn't start out with that fabric initially, it seems that if you get brought into that home, you've always got a place to stay. You've always got someone to talk to, and you've always got people to back you up and help you out in a, in any situation. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's something that you can see where the success came from when you, when you study how close knit this group is, because even as the film crew, after our first day filming with Jerry, Jerry was one of our first interviews, and we walked away from that first interview with an extreme, a real sense to do well by Jerry. That's what we walked away with. We wanted to make sure we're like, oh, this thing can't be, you know, 75%. This thing needs to be a great piece because we have to do justice to this. And I feel like that is probably how players feel when they come through the ranks. I assume that's how coaches feel when they come through the ranks, where it's, we need to leave this thing better than when we found it, or it's on us. That and is, I think that comes from just the tight-knit community that, that they've created. You know, I love that answer. And even in today's world of video games and social media and lack of attention, these kids, and you made a good point, maybe they're not exactly like that when they first walk through the door, but even these kids today in our crazy, crazy world are exactly the same, just solid citizens that, just like your film crew, want to do right by the Yeagleys and now Todd Yeagley. Anyway, so here we go. Saturday night, the debut. We got to find a platform for this, right? So tell us how long it is and tell us what needs to take place, Tucker, Greg, to give this a platform, whether it's the Big Ten Network or Fox or ESPN or YouTube, wherever. So it's an hour and 13 minutes long. And, you know, I think that's the perfect length, personally. But it's an hour and 13 minutes long. Um, I think I think it would find a home in any any medium that tells a good story. I think any medium that takes story and sport and puts them together, I think, would be a winning combination. And that, to me, could be Big Ten Network. That, to me, could be Showtime. That, to me, could be ESPN 30 for 30. That, to me, could be Fox. I'm on board for anything that gets this out into the world because I do think it's a, I think it's a fun story. I think it's a strong story, and I think it, it can teach, it can teach you some ideas of how you build a strong community, of what it takes to build a strong community, and what the result of that strong community could be. So we're building a pretty good community here now with United Soccer Coaches, the podcast as well. The numbers are really good. So I feel like the folks that are going to listen to this are going to love it because of the folks we have on, including you, breaking down this documentary. But they're going to be like me. Wait, I want to see this. How long do I got to wait? What's going on? How do I find this? We have spoken with the United Soccer Coaches, and there's a good chance that this will be playing at their conference next year in Baltimore. All right. Well, I'm always there uh, doing the awards banquets and stuff. So um, please make sure I know when and where that is. I can watch it. But uh, here's the thing, though. Even before that happens, it's it's not like you can just snap your finger, right, to get it on Showtime or Big Ten Network or whatever. What kind of uh, things do you have to do? Who's working on getting this thing cleared so we can see it on a platform where the whole world can see it? Well, up until this point, our, our focus has been 100% on just making sure the story has been told correctly and it has been told in an entertaining fashion. And so once this thing plays on Saturday, we're going to shift gears from kind of 
you know, making the project good, making the project great, to uh, how can we get it in front of eyeballs. And we'll probably lean heavily on the IU soccer community to, uh, you know, who has connections to some of these organizations and get the game in front of them or get the, the documentary in front of them. Talking about a program that's won eight national championships, I got to believe that as you're working on this and with Indiana being so close to taking home number nine, were you kind of hoping, hey, just go ahead and win that now and boom, we'll send it out? Yeah, I mean, we, we sent crews to both the um, – the 2017 national championship and the 2018 college cup uh, in hopes of capturing number nine, because what a perfect sweet ending that would be. But I do think that our ending, I actually think our ending is stronger uh, with them not winning it. So I guess I don't want to give away too much information, but it's, we definitely land in the present in our documentary. And I, and I think the message of perseverance is even stronger uh, ending, ending the way that we did. Wow. So I got chills knowing that because I can tell you I was there in 2017. I went out to the tailgate. I remember seeing your crew out there and then the band came in and I didn't have to work that game. I just went up because North Carolina and Indiana, two programs that are very dear to me, were playing each other. And I remember seeing your crew and then the way they tailgate and then soaking it all in. You knew it already because you're a student there. But explain to everybody, I mean, we know the big crowds with football and basketball games, but as far as tailgating and support of a program, it's pretty strong for Indiana men's soccer, right, Tucker? It's correct. I mean, it's it's just another branch of that IU soccer family kind of extending its way out. It's it's a it's a very important part of the of the game day experience to a lot of the alums. To, it's a it's a moment where they can catch up with each other. It's a moment where they can talk about the current team and and you know past teams and it's. And it's a moment where they can all kind of gather around and and share stories before a big game, which I think is as a from a from a documentary standpoint, that's that's when your best research is done. You know, just standing in a room where everyone's talking to each other, telling stories because you freak someone out when you're a documentary guy. You know, like you walk up and you say, "Hey, I'm doing a documentary." People like think they got to tell you like you know some insider information, or they don't want to tell you everything. But if you can sit in a room and just watch everyone tell each other their stories. That's that's the gold mine right there, and I do think that a lot of the stuff that we heard at that Philly tailgate uh, kind of kind of tailored itself to, or we tailored a lot of the the approach to the documentary around the stuff that we heard that day at the tailgate. Well, I can't wait to see it somehow, some way. They lowered the standard and even invited me to the documentary. So <laughs> I definitely appreciate that. Uh, your final comment on why this is going to be a must-see and then close it with where people might be able to at least see the trailer and then also learn more about your company. I think it's a must-see because it's it, – the United States of America is not known for soccer. It's it's not known for it, and it's not a sport that is you know one of the highest. It's not one of the most popular sports. But I I love this story because it shows a guy, it shows a program that in the face of you know adversity of the sport in the in the face of adversity of you know the the talent they had, uh, they found a way to win and they found a way to make the sport their own sport. They found a way to make soccer a thing in indiana and to me that is that is just such an interesting an interesting thing to have done and so i i love hearing success stories about soccer within the united states 
And this is certainly a success story within the U.S. Um, if they want to watch this documentary, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen after this premiere, but we're going to do our best to get out on broadcast and, and we'll be sure to, you know, give people like yourself the information so that you can spread it with everyone else. But um, right now the trailer lives on our website on thisisblueline.com. Um, it also lives on uh, IU Athletics' website as well, uh, within their YouTube channel as well. So if you want to see the trailer there, you're more than welcome to it. Um, and uh, if you want to learn more about Blue Line and the work that we create and the people that we work with, uh, this is BlueLine.com is where you can find all of our information. Worth the wait on all levels as it's got uh, so many meetings right now. Worth the wait yes. is the name of this incredible documentary. Tucker Gregg is the man behind it with Blue Line. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Tucker. Best of luck with the full release of this great documentary. Cool. Thank you so much for having me, Dean. Putting a bow on Worth the Wait, Don Rawson. If you meet him, you know him because you'll definitely hear him. He was the assistant coach, and he is featured as well in Worth the Wait. Don Rawson, up next, United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back. Talking worth the wait. The story of the epic 1982 National Championship game between Indiana and the Duke Blue Devils. And of course, even deeper, the story of the incredible championship culture that the godfather Jerry Yagley built at Indiana. And to be there is to know it, to feel it. Yes, we heard from John Rennie for his take, which was incredible. Uh, So gracious to talk about uh, that epic game that obviously he lost. Tucker Gregg, who put it together with Blue Line and of course, uh, the Godfather also giving him praise as well as uh, several other famous people connected to Indiana. And you heard the Godfather talk about Don Rawson. He was having conversations with Ken Chartier, the assistant coach, another big name in soccer. He's the assistant for John Rennie. Hey, have we gone enough? And both coaches are saying no. The players are dying and everything else. But Don Rawson is uh, really nationally renowned around Indiana. He was assistant coach 75 to 83, 87 to 92. He was the man that uh, helped with Grand Park, and now he's the executive director for Elite Development Program for tournaments and facilities in East Brunswick, New Jersey. And he'll be in the show as well, worth the wait, and we had to have him on. Don Rawson, thanks for being with us. Good to be with you, Dean. Good to be with you. Worth the wait. Uh, you know, it's um, it needed to be done because... The Godfather, you know, I I know you've even told me I say that too much, but I mean, what he's meant to soccer and particularly to Indiana soccer, you feel it in this film, right, Don? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I haven't seen the final cut. I'm excited to see it, and it was wonderful to to see all the different players and coaching staff who came back and and uh, were interviewed. But there's so many hundreds of players who have been a part of the evolution of Indiana soccer and, and uh, a part of the Indiana soccer family, if you will. 
So here you are, assistant coach, 75 to 83, and then back again, 87 to 92. You were on staff for three of Jerry's six national championships. But let's talk about this game, worth the wait, eight overtimes. What do you remember about your conversations with Ken Chartier? What do you remember about the fatigue of the players, even the fatigue of the coaches, as, as Jerry told us, hey, we had to take a break and go to the restroom. Just in your own words, break down that game for us. Well, you just reminded me of that break. And by the way, let's be very clear for everybody who's listening. That break was not programmed by the NCAA. Who takes a break? It was Yeggs himself who asked for the break because he's the only one who had to go to the bathroom. Let's get that out of the way. Number two, um, yes, the uh, there was a conversation about uh, about maybe co-champions, and, and I went down to, to Chartier and I said, look, Ken, both these teams are deserving. Now, did I recall that Indiana finished second in, in 76, 78, and 80, and maybe that was part of the reason? Because uh, maybe we're feeling a little bit coming in second so often? Maybe, but both those teams were just so good. There were so many great players playing uh, so hard. I just felt it was uh, it was deserving of both teams to, to come out winners, and neither one feel like they lost anything. So that was... That was the reason for that. If you can, put into words, if you can remember, what you did after Thompson scored the goal. Where'd you go? Where'd you run? What'd you do, Don? I went and shook Ken's hand and Coach Rennie's hand, uh, which is traditional, and tried to you know do everything as, as classy as we could. And, and then uh, I don't remember anything after that. Everybody exploded. <laughs> uh, <laughs> time went by pretty fast. Uh, I remember... I remember trying to get the the team, and you know, we were celebrating to win number one uh, to to celebrate together as a team, but also to recognize the fans who had come down from Indiana and, and sweated through that just like we all did, uh, and recognize them uh, for being there. So it was it was an unbelievable uh, time, though. It was amazing. If you can, because it's a little bit more current, what can you share with us about the discussions of, hey, we need to do a documentary about this game and, you know, included in that the legacy of Indiana soccer and Jerry Yeagley. What do you remember about uh, the pieces coming together when you were brought in? Well, one of the things I remember is how many people kept uh, hounding me because they know that I, I keep memorabilia. And I have stuff back from the '60s, from the club days, uh, and I'm a—I think I'm an unofficial hoarder, and uh, so I had memorabilia from that championship, uh, and I had, you know, quite a bit of stuff from from the early varsity days, and like I said, back from the club days. And so I remember a lot of people calling me all of a sudden, asking me, "Hey, do you have this? Do you have that?" And uh, and so I, it, it, it allowed me a chance to look back to a lot of boxes that I have and, and uh, rekindle some special memories uh, from a lot of people. Uh, so that's one of the things I remember. And, and also the fact that it would give us an opportunity to get back in touch with some of the alums and, and people that we just don't talk to often enough. So that was that was special about this as well. What are you most looking forward to about Saturday night? Uh, as uh, we just talked about with Jerry Yagley, it's by invite only. And they did lower the standard just in one level. They did invite me as well. So I apologize for that, Don. But other than that, it's just VIPs like like yourself. But what are you most looking forward to? I uh, wasn't aware that you were invited, but uh, apology accepted on that one. <laughs> uh, as far as 
is is getting there absolutely. Is, it, it, you know, Dean, because you've been around the program, that it really is a special family uh, in both uh, Yeggs and Maryland. And let's not forget the, the role that she played in, in everything uh, over the so many years. And so it's a special time for them uh, to see so many uh, players and maybe some of the parents to, to come back and, and, uh, and rekindle some of the the great fond memories that were had for so many teams. Uh, as you know, Dean, one of the things that made Indiana soccer special or has made Indiana soccer special is for, I think it was over 35 years in a row, any any player who'd played at Indiana for four years was a part of at least one Final Four. And so that consistency of, of excellence and, and uh, so many players being a part of that is just going to be a real fun time seeing a lot of those those guys uh, back and uh, and rekindling some great memories and some fun times. Remind us uh, who else was on the coaching staff. Were were those the days where it was just you and the Godfather? Were there some other uh, key parts of your staff, Don? It was never just the two of us. There were so many other assistant coaches. Uh, uh, if I go back, you know, I can go back, you know, quite a long ways. But Joe Kelly was there for an extraordinary number of years. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many, but probably close to as or as many as I was. Uh, and uh, then there's so many others over the years. George Perry was there for a number of years, and, and a lot of the guys that are out there coaching head coaches right now, uh, you know, were assistant coaches uh, back in the in the 70s, 80s, 90s. There are a couple of guys who were managers. Uh, Greg Mouth, Russ Plummer were managers for the team, and both of them have been coaching for 30 or 40 years at the high school level, and they've won state championships. So the family tree is extraordinary. Yeah, it's a family tree of winners. In fact, uh, we had to remind everybody that uh, Coach Yeagley won a high school championship in Pennsylvania, one of the small schools, won a national championship at Westchester. So the guy's always been a winner and then has six stars to go with it. Two more added for the Indiana program. This last one may be above your pay grade, Don, but you're such a good salesman and such a great spokesman for the sport and for Indiana. But uh, obviously you're going to finally see worth the wait on Saturday night. I'm going to promote it on Sunday for the UCLA game, 8 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. But why is it so important to try to find a platform like the Big Ten Network or somewhere else to try to get this thing aired? Uh, I'll give you my answer. I think it's bigger than soccer. I think sports fans will really like it. What's your answer? Well, again, I haven't seen it. But, but um, you know, it to me it's a story about – being a part of a, of, a, of a program or whatever job you have, uh, just really doing everything you can you know, within yourself to, to find uh, your potential and, and, and to seek excellence in everything, every day, and at the same time, enjoy what you're doing. Uh, as, as much as we were successful, you know, in, the Indiana men's program was successful in terms of wins and losses and national championships, uh, there was also, again, that those relationships that were developed and that the family feeling, I don't want to understate it. It was really a family feeling and we had a heck of a fun time. I can't underscore my mind anyway. And, 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 and I was, I don't know to the degree I was a part of the having fun because I wasn't the most mature person uh, ever put in this planet, but I think we did both. We worked hard, but we also had fun and we enjoyed being around each other a lot. And it's not always easy to do both. 
I know you guys are going to have a fun time on Saturday night. Worth the wait by invite only. The story of the epic 1982-8 overtime win for Indiana over Duke. The first of eight national championships. Eight stars for Indiana. Don Ross, an assistant coach on that team. Assistant 75-83, to 87-92. Thanks so much for being on the program, Don Rawson. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Dean, and thanks for all you're doing for the sport and for the Big Ten Network, both. We appreciate that. We appreciate Don Rawson, Jerry Yegley, John Rennie, Tucker. Don Rawson was probably under 30 when he was on that team. We'll meet two more members of United Soccer Coaches 30 under 30 after this message. Stay with us. Want 15 extra hours each week? Team Snap can help give it to you. Their customers save tons of time every week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. If you've been listening to this show the last couple weeks, you know my favorite part of the show is getting to know a couple more members of the current class for United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. Super excited again today as we're joined by two superstars. And we start with Hannah Brown, now in her third season as the head coach at UC Merced. That's the Bobcats out in California by way of Ohio, which I always love, as she went to the University of Akron. And she's with me now, Hannah Brown. How you doing, Hannah? I'm good. How are you? All right. Great to be with you. Obviously love that Ohio connection. You grew up in Ohio. So talk about your early days in soccer, where you played, how you ended up at Akron, and how you got that coaching bug. Um, yeah, I grew up in Maslin, Ohio, so I ended up playing for um, a high school called Maslin Jackson, um, pretty decent high school in the area, but um, that's kind of where it all started, and from there, I actually went to Ashland University for a couple years, played there, the Division Two level, and then transferred over to Akron to finish my education, um, got involved with coaching back in my high school and then also within the game operations at the University of Akron, working with um, their basketball teams, soccer teams, volleyball, all that fun stuff. Um, And then from there, got out to California, uh, got my graduate degree at Fresno State University. Um, While there, I got involved with uh, the University of California Merced's athletic department. They were starting athletics uh, the year of 2011. Um, so got involved with them, just helping out and interning. And then in the year of 2012, they started the women's soccer program. And so at that time, I came on as an assistant because I was currently the events coordinator within our department. And so just helped uh, start the program with the head coach at the time, helped kind of build it for the first five seasons. And then that head coach went on to um, other things and took over the program from there. And then here we are. Yeah, now in your third season. and. You've been around big-time soccer because you were there in 2010, as you said, working for Akron. Caleb Porter led the Zips to a national championship. The United Soccer Coaches Game of the Week on Fox Soccer. Akron was a regular stop because the crowd was amazing. The team was amazing. So that certainly had to fuel the fire, right, to be around big-time soccer. Absolutely. I mean, Akron's it's a a smaller school, I guess, in the scheme of things in the college athletics world, but uh, in men's soccer, um, in soccer in general, it's it's an awesome place to be. I mean, the atmosphere is unparalleled. And Caleb at the time was the head coach, and we all knew he was, you know, kind of buying time until he moved on to the next level because he was just a fantastic coach. Um, and the nice thing about Caleb was, you know, it didn't matter. I was just an intern at the time. But, you know, and having to, you know, knock on his door at halftime to let him know he had five minutes till the second half, he was just always awesome to work with. And so 
definitely been able to kind of follow his career and all the all the guys from that team moving forward and stuff. And so it was definitely an awesome experience and kind of helped solidify the fact that like seeing coaching at that level and kind of keeping the human element with it um, definitely kind of shape the coach that I am and trying to work towards what I want to be for sure. So it sounds like in getting to know your situation, um, obviously you played a little bit at Ashland, but when you went to Akron, it was about academics. It was learning about sports management, right? And and, the, and perhaps some tools and in, in coaching. It sounds like you're bigger than just a coach. You also have, you know, deep interest in sports management, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually um, started off kind of, I've always had soccer kind of in my life and kept coaching while also pursuing um, a career within this, you know, intercollegiate athletics, like sport administration. So I ended up working my way up to being an assistant director here at uh, UC Merced um, while being the assistant coach. And so that was originally the route I thought I wanted to take, you know, just kind of helping athletes get through the day-to-day and kind of with the background of things and helping with the game operations of things. And um, when the opportunity arose to kind of move into a head coaching position, that's where I kind of had to decide, okay, what route am I going to take here? And um, I saw the opportunity, and I was like, I have to try it. And so here we are, and I, I'm so happy I made the choice. It's It's been very rewarding and kind of, I don't know, it's been able to finally go back to my passion and really kind of enhance my abilities there. I love that. Okay, so now ending your third year, what's been the best part about being a head coach, and what's been the biggest challenge, Hannah? Um, I would say the best part is just, seeing your teams be able to evolve, you know, both on and off the field. And, you know, I've been able to evolve as a coach as well and how much I've learned through specifically this 30 under 30 program and being able to enhance um, our tactics and what we're doing year in and year out of how we can, you know, build upon our program and upon our players. But I would say the biggest challenge would just be the expectations that us coaches put on ourselves, honestly. Um, Luckily, I'm at a department that's very supportive, and it's not so much about wins and losses here, even though we are. We're set up for success, and we've been fortunate enough to have some good seasons, but um, just kind of, you know, maintaining the level that you have for yourself and your teams and, you know, that pressure you put on yourself to be successful and to make sure your kids are getting off on the right foot and getting, you know, becoming evolved humans and going into the real world and, um, you know, just making good people. Yeah, remind us uh, what level UC Merced is, what conference they're in as well. Yeah, we are an NAI institution. Um, We play in the CalPAC Conference, which is uh, Northern California, Southern California, and we have a couple Arizona schools as well. I did notice you guys are pretty good at home. I think you went undefeated at home last year, right? Uh, we Close, close, yes. Um, we are always partial to playing at home. Um, we, we, just, we were fortunate enough to get a brand-new stadium uh, built on our campus last year for our home field, and so that's definitely um, helped, and our girls are always pumped to play at home for sure. What's the best way to describe Hannah Brown, UC Merced, Bobcats women's soccer as far as the style of play? Um, we're a possessive style of team. Um, we're also not, I don't want to say the word flashy, but we do, we do like to do some foot skills and get creative on the offensive end, but um, we are a, a work hard, play hard team. Um, we have fun, but you know, we will outwork everyone for the 90 to 110 minutes that we play just to do what we need to do and get the result and do it together. And I'm not sure if you heard, but the USA women won the World Cup. The NWSL is booming. The ICC just was held here where Lyon and North Carolina Courage had an epic battle. They're talking about equal pay. Your floor to talk about women's soccer at any level right now. It's feeling pretty good, right? 
Oh, it's feeling fantastic. I've been, I was fortunate enough to attend the World Cup this year. Um, got to watch the U.S. play Sweden in the last round of group stage, and just the atmosphere was unbelievable. Um, that was my first World Cup experience, um, but I've been able to catch a few games um, in the years leading up to the World Cup, both in Ohio and California, and kind of, you know, seeing the atmosphere and built up around the teams and being able to go to a couple of NWSL teams, even though there's not a team in California, I've been able to go to a Seattle game and a Portland game, and just the the atmosphere around it and just the attention they're finally getting, which is, I think, completely deserved. Um, I think they're using their platform to try and better the game for as long as they can for the generations after them, really. I think they know that it's going to be an uphill battle, um, but... I think the foundation they're laying is is fantastic, and I think they're, you know, being able to back that up with their play on the field is something that I don't think people are used to seeing. And so to kind of have that attitude of, we are here, we are the best. Now let's try and you know do something for the better for the generations after us. I think is is awesome. Your favorite current women's professional soccer player or women's national team player, and why? Um. Let's see, for national team, my favorite ever since around 2011 has always been Megan Rufino, just for her style. I mean, she's obviously evolved as kind of a, you know, more icon now, um, but just the way she plays and her vision and her technical ability has always been something that's drawn my attention. Um, On the international stage, I'd say Lucy Bronze, Mm. um, right back for England. Just her work ethic and her ability and just her strength is just unparalleled to me. I think she's one of the best players in the world. Um, They're just both so good at their craft and they're very passionate about what they do. So they're just two of my favorite players to watch for sure. Yeah, had a front row seat to watch Lucy Bronze play the Courage on Sunday. And, I mean, she makes the game look so easy. Oh, yeah. She goes by players yeah. like their cones, Hannah Brown. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And she had the assist as well on that goal. She is, uh, she. I think she is the best player in the world. To do all that from a right back spot is just uh, simply spectacular. Absolutely. How about, uh, who do you look up to as far as mentors for you and coaching? Uh, who's been some of your inspiration to want you to, to be a coach? Um, my biggest inspiration that's kind of been my go-to for the majority of my life has been Pat Summit. Um, I've never really played basketball at a competitive level at all, but um, I have always followed uh, Tennessee women's basketball because of her. I was able to kind of watch her coach in person a few times growing up as a kid in high school and just her energy and her passion for her players and for the game itself. And it was awesome to watch and just how dominant she was in her um, profession. Uh, She's definitely been my main um, go-to. In regards to, like, the soccer world, I really look up to Laura Harvey, um, head coach of the Utah Royals. She's just, uh, her technical and tactical um, abilities as well as how she relates to her players has always been something that I've looked up to about her. And I was fortunate enough to meet her at the last convention here in Chicago, and she's just, just a very down-to-earth person and just, you know, extremely smart, but also, you know, very easy to talk to and just, you know, all around, kind of like the coach you want to be, just approachable, but also you know your stuff and you handle it. That's so well said. I love both those answers. And, uh, you know, Pat Summit, uh, Ange Kelly, when she was the coach at Tennessee, she had the NSCA Fox Soccer Game of the Week, and she actually had Pat Summit come on the air with us. And you talk about exuding greatness, you know, like just this aura of greatness without arrogance, you know, but uh, interested in people. And that's Pat Summit. What a great pick. And then, of course, Laura Harvey on this week's uh, podcast, the one that was just done, Anson 
Dorrance talked about her being one of the four names on Kate Markgraf's list and obviously saying great things about her as well. Finally, what made you want to be a uh, part of this 30 Under 30 program? And then with that, who's your mentor in this program? Um, oh, so my mentor is Kim Sutton at Chico State. Um, which I probably should have mentioned her as well because ever since I've gotten into the program with her, she's been fantastic, Um, has helped me numerous times. We talk almost every week um, about the ins and outs of uh, her being a college coach as well. is is really nice to kind of relate questions to and really developing everything. Um, She's been fantastic. But my reason for getting into the program or wanting to be involved in the program was honestly just to learn um, and coming into – being a head coach, I've been around the game of soccer for you know 25 years now almost, and but just kind of taking my career to the next level and trying to learn as much as I can to become the best coach I can be, and I thought this would be the best opportunity to do so. Um, meeting people, going to the convention, um, you know, doing these courses, trying to just soak up everything I can, and it's been extremely beneficial. Um, it's helped my program just in our preparing for season this year has just been a major difference in just being able to learn new things and kind of take those things and apply them to this level and how our players can, you know, develop and whatnot. But also just, you know, my understanding of the game and, you know, evolving as a coach and, you know, pretty much every aspect of it. It's, it's been awesome. Yes or no? You're the Cleveland Browns or don't you care? <laughs> As a as a true Browns fan, you want to say yes, but you know it's a no. <laughs> um, I, I'm rooting for him. I really am. I, I I can't wait to see him. Honestly, it's I've never you know we've never had a team like this. We've never had a team where the best players are on it or a quarterback that's reliable. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, good stuff, Hannah Brown. Always a pleasure talking to Ohio girl out in California getting it done. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you. Well done, Hannah. Jeff Luco, another member of our 30 Under 30. We'll hear from him next. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. It's not easy to be all of those things. You need help. And who better to help than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. Or you can use promo code PODCAST, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, before the end of August and save over $25 off your yearly membership fee and enjoy all the benefits of a full member. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Just heard from Hannah Brown, another member of the talented United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program. And now we're joined by Jeff Luco, who is the head coach at Taft High School right there in Chicago, where he's from. He went to North Park University, also in Chicago, a great D3 program. And Jeff joins me now. Jeff, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on, Dean. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Chicago at the Big Ten Network, a great soccer city. Obviously, you grew up there. It's got to be a thrill for you to be coaching high school right there. I say I'm from here. I'm actually from a little bit of everywhere. Um, I I was born here, but I 
I lived in Oregon um, and Michigan as well for my dad's job, but I just say Chicago, it's where I've spent the most time. Okay, fair enough. Well, Oregon and Michigan are pretty good places as well. So, yeah, just tell us about uh, your journey, how you got into soccer, and how you knew you wanted to be a coach. Um, yeah, I have two older brothers. I'm a uh, third of four boys, so sports were just always around. Uh, and the one I gravitated towards most was soccer. Um, so since I was, I think, four, I've been playing. Um, and then as I got older, I... I I always wanted to get into education. Uh, I'm a full-time high school teacher. So the being able to coach and teach, I think, for me, was always something that was really intriguing, um, to have just an impact on adolescents the way that my coaches and my teachers did. Uh, that is uh, music to my ears, uh, particularly hearing someone so convicted about uh molding young minds today it's a tricky time right with so much social media and so many distractions it's not easy to keep their attention but sounds like uh, it's something you enjoy doing yeah i do the best i can uh social media is difficult i mean even for me but, uh, <laughs> I, I do think it's it's rewarding work if you can get through some of the obstacles Talk about the kind of soccer you like to play, you like to coach. What kind of soccer maybe they're playing at Taft High School? Uh, well, it changes from year to year. We, uh, we're one of the we're in Chicago Public Schools um, here in the city, and we're the second biggest high school in the city. Uh, so we have a ton of kids. We have over 3,000 kids at the school. Um, but we have uh, the majority of our team are either first or second generation uh, immigrant kids. So... It's really a mix of styles. We have a lot of kids from uh, Poland, um, from Mexico, uh, South America. So it, it really is. It's a mix. We I like to play more of a possession game if we can. Um, but from year to year, it, it just it changes. So it's kind of cool to consistently have to mold your idea of the game based off of who you have. I like having you on because I like the – diversity with United Soccer Coaches where, yeah, they've got a bunch of college coaches, they've got DA coaches, uh, but also to have a, a high school coach on and, and as you've said, one that uh, is committed to also being a teacher. What made you want to be a part of this 30 Under 30 program and talk about the process to you know say, hey, I'd like to apply and, and get involved? Yeah, I've, uh, I've applied uh, I think three times um, and for me, it's just in being in Chicago, I think that in Illinois high school soccer is is top level. There's very very good kids. Um, we have three DAs here, so we do lose a lot of the top level players. Uh, but I think something I noticed right away was that there are so many kids in the city who don't play club. Uh, and for me, the high school game was very important. I played high school before the DAs were around, so the top players played high school. And I think that it has always been something where I see that a lot of times it's held lower uh, in a lower regard. And a lot of that, that does have to do with the fact that coaches might not necessarily have gone through uh, the courses, have, gotten, have taken the time to try to improve. So for me, uh, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get as many of the licensing as I can, and I'm really going to commit to not only teaching, but also on my free time getting better as a coach to try to bring some respect to something I think in the city is really cool um, and that, should be held in a higher regard. 
Speaking of cool, it had to be pretty cool for you to actually be recognized at the awards ceremony in Chicago at the last convention. That had to be a highlight, right? Yeah, it was awesome. It was actually um, the first time I've been able to go to the convention. So it was it was awesome that the first one was in Chicago, and I had a lot of colleagues uh, who coach in the city at other high schools and then coach club um, or even guys I went to school with who were there. And I ran into my my first competitive soccer coach from Salem, Oregon. I actually ran into him when I was at the convention. It was the first time I'd seen him in like 15 years. Uh, so it was really cool just to be able to connect with people and do it here in the city that I, I live in and I work in. Yeah, the convention is the great unifier for sure, great networking, oh, yeah. all of those things. You've um, had an interesting path to get there. What's been your best memory as a soccer player or coach or just in the game? What's been a tipping point moment for you? Uh, best memory was probably I have a, a brother, um, adopted brother, not much younger than me, and just playing with him growing up was probably the best. Uh, we played on teams together our whole childhood, and then being able to have um, my older brothers coach us at a time, I think that, for me, just like always the friendships were the best. Uh, and then as a coach has just been here, we, uh, we have a city tournament in Chicago that is separate from the state tournament and runs earlier, and it's a big deal. It's uh, all the teams from the Chicago Public Leagues, uh, the top 32, it's kind of like a World Cup style. And my second year as the head coach, we were able to advance to the championship. Um, we lost in penalties, but it was the first time our school had ever done it. And there was about 2,000 people at the game for a high school soccer game. Um, and that's something I think I'll, I'll remember and cherish for a long time. Jeff Luco, head coach with Taft High School, part of the 30 Under 30 program right there in Chicago. Chicago was the host of the Gold Cup final, Mexico-USA. I was able to go to that game. If you could pick any soccer game anywhere, any level, World Cup, Pro, you name it, that you would love to watch, would you be able to do that? Oh, yeah. In person? Yeah. Yeah, North London Derby. I'm a huge Arsenal fan, so I would love to be able to see them at the Emirates against Tondam. I love it. That sounds like a good one to pick right there. Well done, as uh, certainly uh, that shows that uh, you're all about uh, the best level of soccer. Well done, Coach. I appreciate that. All right. Well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Congrats on being a member of the 30 Under 30, and best of luck uh, during your high school season. Thanks, Dean. Thanks to Jeff and Hannah Brown, two more members of United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30, and thanks for all the wonderful people breaking down the documentary Worth the Wait, The Godfather, Jim. Jerry Yagley, John Rennie, former head coach at Duke, Tucker Gregg from Blue Line, who put the documentary Worth the Wait together, and Don Rawson, assistant coach for Indiana, for tying it all together. I also want to thank Sean Chevrolet, Michael Knipper, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of you, I'm Dean Linke, Worth the Wait. We'll see you same time, same channel next week for another edition of United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap.